Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Welcome to The Wrong Choice, China and the 2022 Winter Olympics. Please welcome our host, Catherine Gorka, Director of Heritage's Center for Civil Society and the American Dialogue. Hello and welcome. Well, today our athletes are in Beijing preparing to compete in the Olympics, which open this Friday. We're already hearing that they've had to download apps on their phone to track their, their health and to track their movement. We hear that they're being warned that anybody who dares protest or say anything negative could be prosecuted. Why our sons and daughters, our young people, have been put in the position to have to compete under these circumstances is a really important topic for discussion. So welcome to this conversation. We're going to open the program today with a statement from Congressman Michael McCall. He has represented, it, he has represented the 10th District of Texas since 2005 and he currently serves as the ranking member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Right now, the CCP poses the greatest geopolitical, economic, and military threat to the United States and our allies. Whether it's their debt trap diplomacy through Belt and Road Initiative, their brutal oppression of Hong Kong, the looming threat they pose to Taiwan, their COVID-19 cover-up that turned what could have been a local epidemic into a global pandemic, killing more than 6 million people worldwide, or the genocide they are committing, as I speak, against ethnic and religious minorities. The CCP is successfully committing some of the most horrific crimes against humanity of our time. They are an enemy of freedom and democracy. The Olympics are supposed to be the most prestigious sporting event in the world, but the International Olympics Committee has stained their reputation by turning a blind eye to these atrocities and handing the CCP the honor of hosting the 2022 Winter Olympics. The world must wake up to the horrors of the CCP's human rights abuses. As we speak, over 1 million people in Xinjiang province are held in internment camps. There, they are forced under labor conditions, brainwashing, forced abortions, forced sterilization, and even death. The IOC allowing what I'm calling the genocide games to go forward is a stain on the Olympics. And I'm deeply disturbed that these games will take place in the shadow of concentration camps. Glorifying the CCP and normalizing their genocide is simply unacceptable. And putting U.S. Olympians in jeopardy as they travel to China is unacceptable. American athletes who have ever spoken out against the CCP or who speak out against the CCP while in the country could face arrest and up to life in prison. We cannot turn a blind eye to the CCP without properly preparing our athletes for the dystopian reality of China. I supported the diplomatic boycott because it's a way to stand up for American values without punishing our athletes. We can root for Team USA without giving the CCP a propaganda opportunity 
and victory to spread lies and whitewash their crime. And if our Olympians speak out against the CCP's atrocities, the State Department should ensure that they are protected. And just as Jesse Owens showed Adolf Hitler that the Aryan nation was not superior, I know our athletes will show the Chinese that we're going to take home the gold and we're going to take it back home to the United States. Well, I'm so grateful for Congressman McCall's leadership on this issue. That was a powerful statement. So I am so excited to start our discussion here today. We have three great panelists to talk to. First of all, so excited to welcome Ennis Cantor Freedom. He has become a leading hero of the freedom movement here in the United States. As center for the Boston Celtics, he's used his voice to speak out against tyranny and justice, and particularly to call out the Chinese government for their human rights violations. I have Dr. Lee Edwards, Distinguished Fellow in Conservative Thought at the Heritage Foundation and Vice Chair of the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. Lee is one of the longest time fighters against tyranny, against communism. Uh, he's written more than 25 books, uh, so I'm really excited to have Lee here with us. And then we have Olivia Enos. She's a Senior Policy Analyst with the Heritage Foundation, Foundation's Asian Studies Center. And she, too, has been actively writing about China, and particularly their human rights abuses in the Olympics. So what I'd like to do is, Olivia, I'd like to start with you. I'd love to have you just open up the subject by talking a little bit about what did the Biden administration get wrong in its approach to the Olympics? Why are we in this situation? Why are our athletes in the situation that they're in? Yeah, I think that's a fantastic question, Katie. The Olympics should have been a slam dunk for U.S. leadership. It was an opportunity for the U.S. to clearly call out China for the series of abuses that we've already heard about from Representative McCall, whether that is ongoing genocide and crimes against humanity being carried out against the Uyghur Muslim minority, where, as Representative McCall stated, there's between 1.8 million and 3 million Uyghurs currently held in political re-education camps today. Um, we all bore witness to what happened in Hong Kong, um, where freedom was absolutely undermined there. And of course, um, all of us have experienced the ramifications from the COVID-19 pandemic, where we saw the Chinese Communist Party actively you know, lying to the international community about the infectiousness of the disease in the early days of the, of the pandemic. And in spite of all of this, China's horrible track record the International Olympic Committee selected them to host the Games. China should never have been selected to host the Games. It is the most prestigious international sporting event, and it is a privilege to host, not one that should have been given to a communist leadership that doesn't even respect the fundamental freedoms of its people. And the Biden administration, this was a missed opportunity for them. They could have gathered together an international coalition to pressure the International Olympic Committee to postpone the Games for the purposes of selecting a new rights-respecting host. But of course, we didn't see that. We saw the Biden administration kicking the can down the road until the very last minute when they announced a diplomatic boycott. And for those who are not familiar, a diplomatic boycott means that American athletes can still participate, but there's no high-level U.S. government participation um, in order to be there and to grant credence to the Games. Um, but this was a last-ditch effort. It was the bare minimum that the Biden administration could have done, and it was done at the final hour. 
So I would have loved to have seen just the Biden administration seizing upon this moment, recognizing that there is a consensus on the threat that China poses, not only to America, but to the world. And they even missed out on the opportunity. They were beat to the punch by Lithuania, who announced a diplomatic boycott before the United States. And they were not even, uh, when we announced our diplomatic boycott, it wasn't in concert with other allies around the globe who it would have been so powerful to send a shared statement that you know countries all over the globe think that what's happening in China is unacceptable. So I think it was a real missed opportunity for US leadership and, and I really wish that we had seen them take a stronger stance. Ennis, I'd love to turn to you. So you had a, a great quote recently. I just love this. I'm gonna read this. You said, the Chinese Communist Party does not represent the Olympic core values of excellence, of respect, of friendship, and they are brutal dictatorship. You've been called the conscience of the NBA. What's your perspective on this as an athlete? You know, I mean, when you uh, look at what they represent, you know, they engage in censorship, they threaten freedoms, they do not respect human rights, and they don't, you know, they hide the truth. And, you know, to me, diplomatic boycott is good. Obviously, it shows something, but it is not enough to me. You know, I feel like all the athletes out there needs to, needs to say, you know, enough is enough. You know, this is bigger than sports. And I actually call it, I think Representative McCall called it uh, really well, he said the, the genocide games, and I call it the medal of shame, you know? Uh, you know, all the gold medals in the world that you can win is not more important than your morals, your principles, principles and your uh, values. I feel like all the athletes need to stand up for something bigger than basketball and say, I'm not gonna par participate where, in a country where there's a genocide happening. So, I mean, I feel like people need to understand this, you know, the problem starts with the International Olympic Committee, you know, they're sleeping in the same bed with uh, China. And uh, I think, I think you know, athletes need, uh, has a huge voice and they need to use it. But I'm just curious, I have to ask you, because you have been so outspoken where many, many other people are afraid to speak out. Mm -hmm. Are you paying a price? And if you are paying a price, do you still think it's worth it? I mean, someone had to do it. You know, I mean, you look at, in our time right now, unfortunately, there are so many, pretty much every athlete, every athlete, actor, singer, rapper, or people who has platform are scared to say a word when it comes to China because obviously there's so much, you know, you know, money involved, the business involved, the endorsement deals involved, and you look at, you know, the players, there are so much, you know, shoe sales and jersey sales, so they are scared to say a word when it comes to China, but I was like, you know what? I mean, there are more things important than money and business uh, in our time. You know, I cannot just stay silent where my Muslim brothers and sisters pretty much get in torture and raped every day in concentration camp. So I'm like, you know what? I'll be the one. I'll be the bad guy if you call it a bad guy. <laughs> I'll be the bad guy and just call it, let's say it like uh, how it is. But uh, I just wish that more athletes that join me, it is a lonely road. But I always say, you know, God is with me. Well, God bless you for what you're doing. And I have to say, your courage and your leadership is just an unbelievable inspiration. So thank you. We are so grateful for what you're doing. Um, I would love to turn now to you, Lee. We've talked, um, a number of us have touched on the, the human rights abuses, but let's talk a little bit about the broader threat that China poses. Um, I know you've got some prepared remarks. I'd love to hear what you have to say. 
you know, Katie, I think we have to understand whom we're exactly dealing with. You know, there's an old line about, you know, know your adversary. And so what I've tried to do here with these remarks, very brief, is to try to <clears throat> measure just why communist China is what it is and why the Chinese Communist Party is what it is. And I've gone back and our old friend Zbigniew Brzezinski, the late great Zbigniew, who came up with the six traits of a totalitarian state. And if one, an official ideology, two, a single political party, typically led by one man, three, a secret police, four, party control of mass communications, five, party control of the military, and six, a centrally directed economy. So I thought it would be useful to say, well, how does communist China measure up? Let's take a look at these six areas. Where is China? Number one, an official ideology. China is ruled by an official Marxist ideology with so-called Chinese characteristics. Two, a single political party led by one man. Well, there is one and only one party in China, the Communist Party, led by one and only one man, Xi Jinping, who has been elevated to the status of a demagogue like Mao Zedong. Three, a secret police. Beijing depends upon a police force supervised by the Communist Party and directed against all so-called enemies of the regime. In point of fact, the Laogai, the national network of forced labor camps, still exists in China and is populated by untold numbers of political prisoners. Number four, party control of mass communications. Through the 90 million members and unlimited budget, the CCP controls all means of mass communications, especially the social media. The majority of the Chinese people know only what they read or see or hear on the government-run media. For them, for example, there's no such thing as the Tiananmen Square massacre. Number five, party control of the military. All major military decisions are approved by the Central Committee of the Communist Party in accordance with Mao's maxim, political power grows out of the barrel of a gun. And finally, six, a centrally controlled economy. Now here, you one could argue that socialism with Chinese characteristics is some kind of a difference from out-and-out -out Marxism, but Chinese, such Chinese characteristics, we're not talking here about soft democratic capitalism, but hard market socialism in which all central decisions are made by the CCP. You know, visitors to China, and I was there a little over a decade ago, are often misled by the many skyscrapers that, that Beijing, Shanghai, and other major cities. Those skyscrapers are not capitalist uh, observations. They are owned by the CCP, the PLA, or the sons and daughters of the party elite. So, only with regard to a centrally controlled economy can it be argued that China is perhaps authoritarian, not totalitarian. But there is no sign 
and quite the reverse, that communist China is becoming more liberal politically, quite the reverse. Such a totalitarian regime deserves to be shunned by the international community, beginning with the Winter Olympics. Lee, one of the great projects that you've been committed to and you've been involved with for a long time is the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. So I know you all are planning <clears throat> to open a physical museum next year, if I'm not mistaken. No, later this year, correct? This year. Yes. So you have a sense of Americans, what they know of communism, what they understand of communism. How well do you think most Americans understand the depravity of the Chinese regime and, and, and just what it means to be a communist regime in this day and age? Well, that's the reason why we founded the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, why we are having our museum open up this spring. And that is we believe if you tell the truth, about China, about communist China, will realize they are not just an ordinary run-of-the-mill competitor or even adversary, but they are dedicated and motivated and committed to becoming a major power, not only in Southeast Asia and to be once again the Middle Kingdom, but to challenge the United States of America for leadership of the world. We must take appropriate action. Here was an opportunity which we had, as been, has been outlined, with regard to the Olympics. We failed. We must take advantage again and take a look, for example, at the World Health Organization or the World Trade Organization. There are so many ways in which we can challenge China. We're not talking here about, you know, dropping a bomb on Beijing. We're talking about taking appropriate political and strategic action against the totalitarian regime, which, if it is not challenged, will continue to expand its power and its authority throughout the world. I, I'm worried, though. You know, you talk about the importance of telling the truth, and I think that's so critical. But I, I worry that you can't tell the truth. I mean, Ennis has talked about the incredible commercial pressure on athletes. Peter Schweitzer's amazing new book, Red-Handed, has just come out where he talks about just the extraordinary corruption and what he calls elite capture by the Chinese Communist Party of our political leaders, of the Biden family, of our corporate leaders. Do you think it's even possible these days in the United States to tell the truth about China? I think it's possible that if one major corporation were to take that one step, and challenge and say we're not going to be dictated strictly on the basis of economic return. If one, just one corporation would do that, I really believe that like that flock of blackbirds, many other corporations and companies would do it. And we're, we're talking to some people in the, the capitalist community, if you will, about that. And uh, so stay tuned. Okay, great. And as I want to come back to you, so I have to say, my heart really goes out to our athletes. You know, I, I think about them, it's, it's, it's our sons and daughters, you know, most of them are, are young. Um, I think, I fear a lot of them really have no understanding of what a communist regime is like. Um, you know, I, and I'll just mention, Heritage has, has a paper that's about to come out, which talks about the fact that these apps that the athletes have to have on their phones to track their health and their movement 
are actually getting access to other information on their phones. I think it's going to be a real shock for our athletes. But let me ask you, what do you think we should be doing for our athletes? I think most people want to support our athletes, but we don't want to support the Chinese regime. Right. I mean, you know, whenever I had a conversation with an athlete that was about to go to, you know, Olympics, right? I have been, you know, like, first, I have, I have been telling them, listen, first, you need to educate yourself. You need to understand where are you, where are you going? And also, you know, the Team USA, I believe it, it was on the news, Team USA just put a statement out there and said, we want our athletes to bring a burner phone because the CCP is going to tap in their first phone. So this is mind blowing. And also the other thing is whenever I had a conversation with well, one of the athletes, um, I keep bringing the, the missing tennis player, right? And I was like, listen, look what they did to their own tennis player, Peng Shui, right? Are we really going to trust with CCP with our own players? And also there was a, another article out there uh, where uh, Chinese Commerce Party said, while the athletes are in China, they're not allowed to make any kind of statements about any political stuff, right? That's pretty much killing the freedom of speech. And um, so whenever I have a conversation with athletes, I'm like, listen, would you really think about this? If your mother, right, if your daughter, if your sister, if your wife was on those concentration camps in Xinjiang, would you still go to those games, right? Would you still uh, try to, I understand, um, you know, the, I, I, there's so many, I get this question a lot. Well, but the athletes are, you know, working so hard for, for how many years to get to that uh, level? But I'm saying there are bigger things than, you know, uh, sports right now. All the gold medals in the world you can win is not more important than, you know, the people's lives. So I feel like we need to understand uh, what we are sending our athletes to. Um, you know, it's just, it just sad and it's just shame. Great comment. Olivia, so uh, talk a little bit more. What can we do? How do we respond in this case? Well, I think that there's a really important role at this point for both the business community and also civil society and ordinary Americans as the Olympics are going to start airing starting on February 4th. Um, for one thing, there should not be a single day that goes by during the Olympics that we are not covering the CCP's human rights violations, the way that they threaten national security, the ways that they act economically inappropriately. Um, if you're a journalist, if you're a netizen, if you're an ordinary American citizen, post articles, write things, interview survivors who are now here in the United States and who are outspoken in condemning China for the abuses that they themselves have experienced. There are so many people out there that are willing to speak. If you're a business, and particularly if you are a part of the Olympic Sponsors Program, as many American companies like Coca-Cola, Airbnb, Intel, and others are, um, you should be reconsidering whether or not you want to advertise during the Olympics. And NBC itself should be thinking twice about airing the opening ceremonies at the Games, which if the 2008 Olympics, when Beijing hosted the last time, were any indication, will simply be a propaganda mechanism for the Chinese Communist Party. And I think as ordinary Americans, we actually have a choice 
about whether or not we're going to help the funding that does come from that advertising revenue that will be playing during the games. We have a choice about whether or not we want to actually watch the games and potentially inadvertently cause the Chinese Communist Party to profit by watching. So I think it's something that even at the very individual level, people have decisions to make. Um, even in the coming days about the extent to which they will participate. But I can't underscore enough how important it is to be educated about what is happening because no one should be unaware of the ongoing genocide and crimes against humanity that's occurring against Uyghurs. No one should say they didn't know what happened in Hong Kong. There's so much to be educated about and so many incredible Uyghur Americans, Hong Kong Americans, um, Chinese Christians, others, who are outspoken out there and speaking, and folks like Enes Cantor, um, there need to be more people that are like you who are speaking out in the sports industry um, because we can't continue to watch as China continues to violate the rights of its citizens. I would just add to that that the one possibility might also be of boycotting those companies who are part of the sponsorship list. There are, there have been times in the past when uh, young, young Americans, both left and right, have uh, gone into the business of boycotting uh, and uh, applying straight, uh, direct uh, economic pressure on, on companies. That, I think, would probably get their attention. Well, I was going to ask you to expand on a, on a sort of related question, which is in thinking about the different steps that we can take, what do you think China actually cares about? What are the things that you think we could be doing as a country or as individuals that's actually going to impact the Chinese leadership? Can you speculate on that? Well, and I do think that, uh, it, of course, it would be economic. They're, they're concerned about that. Um, <clears throat> although their economy is growing fairly well in the last uh, quarter or so, what, 3%, 4%, something like that, but less than it has been, so they're very sensitive to that. I think that uh, <clears throat> making it very clear that we support Taiwan, uh, th this after all is a island nation of some 20 some 22 million people. Uh, they are democratic, they are uh, responsive to the people, and the idea that we should allow Ch communist China just to invade them and take them over is just ridiculous and sets the most incredible, grotesque kind of example for the future. So uh, economically, politically, there are so many things. I mentioned the World Health Organization. There are other international organizations. If the United States and other nations of, of the West were to challenge Chinese communist membership and those kind of international organizations, that would send a very clear signal as well. Uh, President Xi is not as strong as he pretends to be. Uh, it seems to me that only somebody who seems somewhat insecure would spend so much time building himself up as he has. We're talking about you know, his kind of thought and uh, equaling that of Mao Zedong and, and Karl Marx. Um, there is much that can be done, and I think here's an opportunity. And I predict that coming out of the Olympics, whatever may happen specifically, 
there's going to be a lot more of a united front against uh, communist China. You can sort of feel those elements coming together right now. Well, I was really impressed to look at the, all the news stories in today reporting on you know, our athletes being there. Uh, across the board, they are uniformly critical of China, so I thought that was good news. Lee, you and I both spent a lot of our careers looking at the collapse of the other, communism on the other side of the world in the Soviet Union and former Eastern Europe. And I was thinking back about <clears throat> what are lessons that, that we can learn from that experience that, that helped to bring down that version of communism. I think one of the ones that to me is, is probably the number one, the number one most important factor was when Ronald Reagan came out and called the Soviet Union evil. And I don't see our current leaders doing that. Do you? Well, uh, I think uh, with, with our we're talking about the genocide games, I think that's a very powerful phrase. And I think the idea that pinning and labeling communist China as a practitioner of genocide, that I think is such a powerful resonant charge and accusation. And I believe that the British Parliament uh, passed a resolution. I believe also that the French Parliament has passed a resolution condemning China for genocide. The former Secretary of State uh, for Mr. Trump, Mike Pompeo, referred to what was going on with the Uyghurs as genocide. And the present Secretary of State, Mr. Wilkin, Mr. Winken, uh, has also talked about it being genocide. So when you get both uh, President Biden and President Trump's Secretary of State saying the same thing, that I think should get people's attention. So I think we should continue to press hard to designate and to describe China, communist China, as a genocidal nation. I think that's powerful. Yeah, I would agree. I think I think you know going forward and really emphasizing the genocide games is it's a, it's going to be impactful. Um, I've got uh, questions coming in from the audience, so I want to give them a chance to be heard. So let me throw this question out to any of you who any of you three <clears throat> who would like to take a shot at this. Um, in many respects. Beijing's selection as host of the 2022 Olympic Games was the decision of the IOC, which has maintained a passive and conciliatory approach towards China. Are there any actions that we or allies could take to ensure due diligence from the IOC in the future? Any thoughts? Any insights? I'm happy to take a crack at it. I think, unfortunately, the International Olympic Committee, although not entirely impervious to international pressure, has proven itself just a completely unfaithful actor. Um, as Enes was mentioning earlier, in the case of the Chinese tennis star Peng Shuai, we actually saw the president of the International Olympic Committee, Thomas Bach, um, aiding and abetting in the Chinese Communist Party's hostage-taking of Peng Shuai by holding a video conference with her. Um, and they essentially, I mean, it was like every sort of hostage video that you would see where she said exactly the lines that the Chinese Communist Party would want to hear, and the IOC granted credence to that. I think that this should have caused 
all of the International Olympic sponsors to pause for a minute and to look at actually a positive contrast to their own lack of response in the case of the Women's Tennis Association, where the Women's Tennis Association said, we're willing to lose money and no longer hold games in China over Peng Shui. We can't believe that the CCP is doing this to their own player. What will they do, as Ennis rightfully said, to players of other countries? So I think that the business community has a really important role to play here in rethinking some of their associations with the IOC. And as I mentioned before, I thought the Biden administration would have taken that stronger stance, would have sought to pressure the International Olympic Committee by building an international coalition to condemn them for selecting Beijing in the first place and hopefully have some sort of postpone and move scenario. Um, but they don't have financial means of accountability to the international community. So I think there might even be, it might be worth rethinking some of the elements of the Olympic Charter that make the IOC relatively impervious um, to outside and external pressure and, and financially so as well. Um, so yeah, that, those are my thoughts on the issue. Great question. Yeah, great answer. Um, Anis, I wonder, do you feel that you're making any headway with your fellow MBA members? Do you think your speaking out is having an impact and, and opening people's eyes? You know, whenever we have a conversation uh, in private, obviously, uh, I, we always have a conversation about what people are going through over there, you know, because just because of when I started to, you know, talk about all these issues, you know, what not just Uyghurs, but what, you know, Tibetans, Hong Kongers, and what Taiwanese people are going through. Obviously, not just my teammates, but people uh, around the league, not just the athletes, but front office people or, or people who work for NBA, uh, even the refs and fans and stuff wanted to learn what's going on. And whenever we sit down and have a conversation, they always understand. They acknowledge the obviously the genocide and they know what's going on. But unfortunately, they are too scared to say anything just because of obviously the, again, business and money side of it. But that is the one that breaks my heart the most. You know, they know what's going on. They know all the abuses are done by CCP, but just because of their son with Nike, or they have this, you know, big endorsement deals, or they have a lot of jersey sales or shoe sales in, in, in China, they are telling me that they have to remain silent, but they are supporting me and pray for me. I mean, at one, my one side, oh, you know, my breaks my heart for them to just like remain uh, silent, but, but I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna do everything I can to just keep it, educate them. I cannot, you know, I cannot stop just because of all that, you know, business involved, but it does break my heart, yes. Interesting. You know, I think the, the, the whole issue of fear, of course, is, is critical in, in all of these fights. It was a huge issue in the Soviet Union. I mean, I think one of the big challenges for all of us who are engaged in this fight is how do you persuade people to overcome their fear? And I think going back to the education piece, I think educating people so that their moral outrage is greater than their fear. So I'm just wondering, you know, it strikes me, for example, with the case of the Uyghurs, um, do you feel enough of the story is getting out there? And if so, you know, who, who's really pushing the story out there and what more needs to be done? I think this moment right here, this is a moment for bravery. 
um, especially a moment for bravery for Americans, for American companies, for the US government, because there are people in China who do not have the option to not be brave. There are Uyghurs who, Uyghurs and Uyghur Americans, there are, I have Uyghur American friends whose parents are back in Xinjiang, whose, I have one friend in particular who, um, she has a daughter of her own who has never met her grandma because she's held in the camp. Um, there are Hong Kongers who, you know, have friends who are a part of the pro-democracy movement who are locked up indefinitely mm -hmm. in China for speaking out in defense of liberty and freedom. We're all sitting comfortably on, you know, in our chairs watching the Olympics, um, you know, in a, in a relatively comfortable place. This is not an opportunity for silence. As you said, Katie, this is an opportunity for being outspoken, for calling on the US government to take several steps even beyond the Olympics. Like we have to be thinking next steps because trust me, the CCP is thinking about this. So we need to be there saying, we're gonna sanction every single Chinese Communist Party official who is complicit in the genocide against the Uyghurs. We need to target every entity that was complicit in helping Hong Kong be what it is today. We need to be extending safe haven through priority to refugee status to people who can no longer live within China because it's not safe to do so. And we need to be pressing the Biden administration and Congress to have done this yesterday, not even in the future. This should have already been done. And so I think this is a real opportunity for leadership, a real opportunity for bravery and outspokenness. And I think there are such people in China today just as there were in uh, Eastern and Central Europe, uh, one particular Joachim uh, Gauck, who was a Lutheran pastor in East uh, Germany in Leipzig and began standing up and talking in his church, in his congregation against the Communist Party, against the German Communist Party. What happened was that because he kept at it week after week after week, more and more people began coming to his, uh, his church services. Then more and more people began demonstrating uh, so that within only, as a matter of fact, three months, one million people began collecting in East Berlin and demanding an end to communism in East Germany. And it happened. The wall did come down. It is possible for people to speak out to ignite that, what I think is that innate desire for freedom that is within every single person of whatever background, whatever nationality that they are. They are, they are there, and we here in America, as you've said, must support them, help them, encourage them as much as we possibly can. I love this point, actually, because one of the stories that's coming out in the news today is the way the Chinese authorities are suppressing the voices of dissidents inside of China. So I think we need to keep our eye on them as much as we keep our eye on our athletes and those who are suffering. Uh, they're the ones who I think are the really brave ones because they, they are there. They, they know that the police are visiting them, monitoring their calls, and yet they're still speaking out. I think they really deserve our support. Um, we are just have probably time for one last question. Um, oh, there's, 
so many questions I would love to be able to, I wish we had more time. Um, I have to choose, this is really hard. Oh, okay, I'm gonna ask this one. What can we do to support the Team USA Olympians but not support the CCP? I do love that question. Any thoughts? Ennis, you wanna chime in? I know you think they shouldn't be there, but come on, we gotta support them. Oh no, for, for sure. I feel like obviously we should support the Team USA. I mean, I wish that they were not, you know, uh, participating the the genocide games. But I mean, obviously, all we can do just right now to support the uh, support our, I'm saying our, because I just become a citizen, uh, our players that that I hope that they can win the gold medal against any country. Obviously, against the uh, the uh, China. But I think you know, one thing we need to do is just like. Uh, whenever they're back, we definitely need to educate our uh, athletes because obviously they have a huge platform and there are so many kids out there idolizing them. And just because of all the social media and, and, and everything, right, uh, all the kids out there following our uh, footsteps. I feel like we definitely need some educated uh, athletes out there to just to bring and amplify some of the, uh, some of the real issues that are happening uh, around the world. Um, I mean, all I can do right now, I guess, is just to cheer for uh, Team USA to bring, bring the goal, I guess. And like that. I think we absolutely, you know, have to support Team USA. I think the right. Olympics are such an exciting patriotic moment. And, you know, I know that I said earlier um, that you have a choice about watching the games. I do think one way to get around some of the advertising loopholes would be to watch some of the clips. So maybe you don't watch it in, in prime time, but you still watch and share and support um, the fact that our American athletes are there uh, displaying excellence and the hard work that many of them have worked their entire lives you know, for this opportunity um, to be there. But of course, we have to be very outspoken in condemning all aspects of the Chinese Communist Party and remind ourselves that it, it, is, it was because of the IOC's decision to select Beijing as host that we are in this moral predicament in the first place. Um, so just continued condemnation for China while still cheering on our Team USA. I would just add to that that we should make the distinction between the Chinese people yes. and the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, that there are so many, as I say, Chinese who uh, are not satisfied with being told what to do, what to say, what to believe, what to practice in terms of their faith. And so therefore, those are the people whom we need to support at the same time to condemn the Chinese Communist Party, which is a totalitarian party, Sondut. Thank you all. Well, I think let's, let's close out by saying we pray for the safety and the success of our athletes. Um, I think the admonition, I love Olivia what you said, this is a moment for bravery, and I think we all ought to go in forward with the hashtag Genocide Olympics. So thank you so much, NS, for being here. Thank you, Olivia. Thank you, Lee. Thank you all for being here.